Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. And this week is a continuation of last week's episode with Molly Pittman, where we are going through what to expect in 2020, kind of a capstone episode here on top of episode 235, where we talk about some trends and things that you absolutely need to know in 2020. And last week, we spoke in depth about campaign budget optimization, the shift to CBO. And if you have not listened to that episode, you need to go back and listen to that one first, because uh, that is the cornerstone question I think that we get hear a lot at Perpetual Traffic, and Molly and I give you a lot of insights on that. So definitely go back for that. In this week's episode, we're going to be getting into three other things to expect in 2020, and probably answering the most important and the biggest fear that a lot of Facebook advertisers have in point number four at the end of the show here. And one of the things that we get questioned on all the time about the platform itself And one of the most powerful parts to the platform is it going away. So make sure you listen all the way through to the end here in 239. Molly and I discuss uh, what to expect in 2020. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. What's next? Yeah, talking so, some new diagnostics here. Yeah, so these next few are a bit shorter and not as complex of topics, but something that I'm really excited about that Facebook rolled out in 2019 that I'm finding myself using a ton are these ad relevance diagnostics. Those are I keep forgetting this name, Ralph, because it's such a mouthful. So I'm just calling them diagnostics now. (laughs) And you guys have probably seen these at the ad level. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Depending on if your ads collected enough data to report back on this, this used to be the relevance score, a score out of 10, 10 is good, one is bad, like kind of helpful, but not really at all. Because it's like, oh, I've got a bad score. What does that mean? You know, it's like, it could be your targeting, your copy, your landing, right. So I'm really pumped about these because I feel like other than being just marketers, right, and understanding people, as media buyers, our biggest job is to put on our detective hat because most of what you're going to do in your career as a media buyer isn't going to work on the first try. (laughs) And so the ability to put your detective hat on and figure out why it's not working is something that I just keep diving deeper into. And I find that the better I sharpen that part of my skill set, the better I am as a media buyer. And so I think that these diagnostics are incredible new resources for us 
because they tell us specifically what's not working about the experience that we're providing. And they've been really helpful for me in troubleshooting why something isn't working. So if you haven't seen these yet, really quick, there's the quality ranking, which Facebook says how your ads perceive quality compared to ads competing for the same audience. So something that's important to keep in mind is these rankings, which are below average, average, and above average, they are in comparison to the other advertisers you're competing against in the auction for the same audiences that you're targeting, which is really interesting. I like that about these rankings, these diagnostics, because different industries behave differently. You know, like B2B is always going to have less social proof than people selling environmentally friendly products, right? Right. Like it's just different. So I love that these are actual rankings. The quality ranking on Facebook's end is pretty vague. What I know that this means, like number one, if your ad is getting marked as spam or hidden or reported, whatever you want to call it, your quality ranking is going to go down. I also know that Facebook's indexing, of course, your ad copy, creative, and your landing page. And that goes against or for your quality. So it's why we don't like to use a lot of like spammy type words in our ad copy, you know, like best sale of the year by now. (laughs) You know, all of those words are telling Facebook that this might be a low quality experience. But the biggest thing affecting that quality ranking is people's feedback on your ads right? So the second one is engagement rate ranking. And this is how your ads expected engagement rank compares to the same audience or sorry, ads competing for the same audience. That's straightforward social proof, which, you know, I've been talking about really in depth the past year. And I love that Facebook's come out and made this a ranking because it just further proves how important social proof is to the success of your ads. And then the last one is conversion rate. So this has to do with the optimization that you chose when you set up your campaign. So for example, if you chose purchases or if you chose video views, Other advertisers targeting the same audience that are using that objective, like how are you stacking up against them? So these are always really interesting to look at. And Ralph, what I find is that if I can have two of the three be average or above average, I'm usually getting the results that I want out of the campaign. When two of the three or three of the three are below average, like it's just like, of course, you always have your main success metric, whether it's return on ad spend, cost per lead, cost per acquisition, whatever that is, go off of that. And if your diagnostics are looking below average, but you're still getting the results you want, okay, continue forward. But normally I find that if I've got more than two to three below average, I'm hurt. And I just think these are such good ways to go in and figure out where you need to improve upon with your marketing and your campaign as a whole. So I will share that for me, I usually suffer in the quality ranking category. And this is because... Most of the time I put my direct response marketer hat on and I think my copy can be a little bit aggressive and it causes people to mark as spam. But I do know how important social proof is. I know that I need to be using native style images. I know that the copy needs to be conversational. I know how to ask yes questions or controversial questions to get people talking. I know how to get the social proof up. So that's usually not an issue. And same thing with conversion rate. You know, I think we're pretty good 
good marketers. I know how to ensure that our pages are converting well. I usually don't have a problem on that end. I usually have a problem on the quality ranking side, right? But other accounts that I go into, everybody kind of has their own issues, you know? Like for example, during this launch right now, I launched a campaign with traffic as the objective, which I don't use a ton, but in this particular campaign, this was the best objective for me to use. And this was the first time I had ever had a below average in the conversion rate category. So I noted, okay, wow, this objective you know, obviously is playing into this. And there's something about my ad that's not as compelling for them to click over and to become a landing page view as other advertisers who have also chosen this same objective. So what can I do? right? Or when I see that my quality ranking's low, I'm like, how do I need to tone down this ad copy so that people aren't marking me as spam, right? Or if your engagement rate is low, how can you get that social proof up? There are so many ways to do that. So I just wanted to point out these diagnostics. I know most of you guys know they're here and we've talked about them before on the show, but I'm just finding them so useful for this detective work, especially when I'm running these test campaigns that we talked about. And when something doesn't work, well, what about it didn't work specifically in terms of how Facebook's algorithm and auction works? Oh, it actually has to do with the conversion rate. I'm using the purchase, you know, I'm optimizing for conversions and purchases. Maybe I need to go work on my product page, right? Mm. So just using this as a, a guide to how you can improve what you're doing. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. And I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Yeah, I love these new rankings. And I think it's an aggregation of data that we otherwise would be looking at individually. And what typically what when I'm managing campaigns, I'll have all these, I'll have my primary objective, which is, you know, results, obviously, or whatever, you know, the, the standard event is that we're trying to shoot for is like purchases, then, you know, how much we spent, how much we made in this case, like a return on ad spend, or like cost per purchase, if it's a CPA based 
based campaign. They will have frequency, reach, all those sorts of things sort of on the left-hand side of reporting as they sort of go into Ads Manager. But then way over on the right-hand side, there's always the metrics that are the troubleshooting metrics, in my opinion. It's, yeah. it's quality ranking now, engagement rate ranking, conversion rate ranking. I'll push those way over onto the right-hand side. And then before that, after my primary metrics, my conversion metrics, I'll put in cost per link click you know, click through rate, you know, link clicks and landing page views. I always sort of compare those. And I found like with these three new rankings, you can troubleshoot a campaign based upon something that's going wrong. Like for example, we were talking about this yesterday on one of our calls. It's like we have a media buyer who's relatively new and she's focused on the page for the customer, like the experience after you click isn't great. And it's not great. It's like a really bad looking product page. But like none of that matters because our click through rate is, you know, 0.4, like really, really low on, you know, well below like a click through rate, which you would want of like 1%, which is sort of like an average. And the cost per click is $2. Like people don't care about the ad. The landing page experience is a big issue potentially, but it's like until you actually get that click. And I found that the quality ranking, engagement rate ranking, and conversion rate ranking aggregate that data and sort of point you to things. And I think this is another, you know, like you said before, this is machine learning Facebook is trying to pull into reporting to say, hey, advertiser, go fix this thing. And we're telling you where to go to fix it. What they don't tell you is specific steps, you know, individually. So you have to sort of pull it out. And like you say, it's like you're doing detective work. What's working? What's not working? These are bigger sort of rankings that do give you a direction. But like if nobody's clicking on your ad, chances are your quality ranking, maybe your engagement ranking, and definitely your conversion rate ranking is suffering. And it's probably below average or average at best. You have to go work on your ad, your messaging, your targeting, a lot of those things. And then sort of figure out sort of backwards based upon your end right. goal, which in this case is a purchase. Like, what are the things that I need to do to improve? All this goes on in the testing phase. You don't do this in the CBO <laughs> state. Totally. And Ralph, I love what you said because this really is the first time we've always been able to dig into what I call secondary metrics, like click-through rate and everything you were just describing to try to pinpoint why something isn't working. And that's still my troubleshooting process. Sure. But we've never seen ourselves ranked against our competitors and people targeting this audience too, right? Yeah. So it might not even be that you are failing. It's just that they are better at one of these parts than you are. And that might be why you aren't seeing the results you want because you got bumped down in the auction because their conversion rate ranking is better than yours. So, yep. you know, it's so interesting and I'm so glad Facebook's giving us this information now because we've never, we've never had it. I mean, relevant score might have calculated in our competition. I'm sure it was a reflection of the auction in some way, but still no real direction. So in this case, like if you are suffering in any of these categories, like the first thing that we would obviously do is sort of look at, you know, from a front facing ad perspective, look at it, how are you being perceived by your audience? But then also you might want to go 
see what your competition is doing because this is ranked by other ads that are competing in the same audience, not necessarily the ones that are competing in your space. Like in the wine space, it might not be other wine people. It might be other people that are targeting people that are somehow interested, maybe have a you know interest in wine, but maybe it's the yoga audience. So you don't really know who the competition is because in the auction, it's not necessarily everyone who's competing against you. You're all competing. All our advertisers were competing for attention of that audience. Yep. And one of the things we mentioned back in episode 235 is now with all these political ads, those are basically no targeting, you know, yeah. people, you know, on all of the US in essence, you know, obviously this geography is going to be targeting more than others. The point is, is like the competition in the newsfeed now is pretty broad. So you've got to step it up. Yep. And really look diagnostically, like you said, it's like a forensic analysis of <laughs> what is going on here yeah. and think about it. Think about the whole experience. Take a step back, analyze the data, make what we refer to as data-driven decisions mm-hmm. based upon what Facebook is telling you. And now these new rankings are another little piece of data that you can piece together to make your ad as engaging and as high-converting as possible. And be grateful. Like I know I am that we have this amount of information. I mean, think about back in the day, Ralph, before the internet, you place an ad in a magazine. You don't really know why it worked or didn't work. You don't know how many people went to that page, how much Mm -hmm. time they spent. I mean, we have so much information at our fingertips. So when you run a campaign and it might fail, you know, based off of your standards of return on ad spend or whatever your success metric is, you must also look at the benefit and the information and the insight and the data that you got from that campaign and spend just as much time analyzing that as you did building the campaign. And don't just start from scratch and then say Facebook ads don't work because you're learning something every time. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. There is no failure when it comes to this. It's just how you interpret the data. I mean, obviously you've got to be smart. You can't be running, you know, $1,000 a day in test campaigns if you only have $1,000 in your bank account. I mean, you got to be smart with this. And obviously how aggressively you test is in direct correlation to your business, the maturity of your business, how much funding you have, all these other sorts of things that go along with it. But you got to be smart. And I think, you know, people don't realize they sort of forget about what you said. I mean, direct response advertising in the back of newspapers used to be like, if you mentioned like a code, once you clip the thing out, that's how they knew that it was from popular science or popular mechanics. It's like, that was their tracking back 20, 30 years ago. And now, you know, here we have all this data from Facebook that is directional. It doesn't quite tell you, all right, here's what you need to do. Step one, step two, step three but the data is there. You just have to be able to interpret it. I'm sure in the coming years, as the machine learning gets even smarter, Molly, it will be like, hey, this is what you need to do here. Like change that ad, that ad copy sucks, that video doesn't work quite as well. Or hey, you got a great video there, make more of those. And maybe Mm -hmm. a smaller, maybe a 15 second version to capture those people who maybe don't want to do the lean back two to three minute video. That day hasn't quite come, but it's coming. That'll be the day. (laughs) That'll be the day. And maybe even when Facebook makes those changes for us, depending on how uh, complex all of this gets. So I'm excited for it. And I just want to make sure you guys know, you, you know that's there, but just make sure you're using it to the fullest benefit. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's there and there's more going to be coming. So 
what Third else thing. you got? So yeah, Ralph, number this three. Is just a, we've kind of already chatted about this a bit, and this is a quick one, but I just want to touch on something that Facebook announced a few weeks ago. They said, we're implementing ad limits because very high ad volume can hinder an advertiser's performance. By limiting the ad volume, campaigns can be more effectively managed, which provides enough time for sufficient campaign insights, allowing for optimization before budgets run out. So basically, and they haven't said what the limit's going to be, but Facebook's going to limit the number of active ads that we can be running. So it's something to note. I don't think CBO will affect this in a great way because with CBO, we're more so launching more campaigns as we discussed earlier. But this is just, and this is the first time Facebook's come out and said, very high ad volume can hinder an advertiser's performance. So Ralph, whenever I'm you know, consulting or I log into an ad account and I see that a particular ad set has 200 ads, I know immediately that there's probably some sort of issue there. Not that there aren't some good ads in that ad set, but that advertiser has given Facebook so many ads that they don't know what to do with it. And they're essentially jamming up the algorithm is the best way to think about it. And Facebook says that, you know, campaigns can be more effectively managed, which provides enough time for sufficient campaign insights, allowing for optimization. So it's why I gave you guys the number of ad uh, recommendations earlier per ad set, because I saw this a lot in 2019, and I'm seeing this more moving into 2020. You don't want to have too little, right? You don't want to have just one ad or it doesn't give Facebook enough to work with and it doesn't give your market, you know, enough different copy variations and creative variations to find one that really resonates with them. But if you have a hundred ads in an ad set or something crazy like that, it's just time to simplify and update your strategies because you're actually hindering yourself. So with this whole discussion of machine learning, it's also important that we do try to simplify things because that's where Facebook's going as a platform. So we don't want to essentially submit too many assets to where Facebook can't digest them and then do their best optimization. So just try to rein it back a little bit on the number of ads that a lot of you guys are running because more ads doesn't always mean more testing and more insight. More ads can mean worse performance for you. So understand where the platform's going, understand how the platform works and know that that's actually working against you in 2020. Yeah, this is where the simplification thing comes in. I mean, I think yeah. there's the extreme to it. If you got hundreds of ads inside an ad set. Yeah. And I saw that last week, Ralph. Like yeah. I logged in to an account for the first time and each ad set had between 150 and 200 ads. And mm. all um, live at the same time or yeah, some post? all live at the same time. <laughs> it's fun. We actually typically see the opposite. We see like one ad in an ad set and that's it because it's, I mean, if you have more in there, if you've run any of them sort of like Facebook will pick depending on what your, you know, your ad set budget is. And this is obviously at the ABO side of the equation. I mean, they'll typically pick anywhere between three to six ads at the most to really run and give any impressions to. So anything past that, you're just kind of wasting your time. I mean, it's a nice effort. You know, I mean, you want to diversify your messaging, but Facebook just isn't going to be able to, you know, aggregate any of that data or get any data out of it because it's just too much. 
you know, you're trying to force feed it way too much on the ad side. Totally. So that's just something I wanted to note. And it'll be interesting to see how all of this simplification does work with CBO. And we'll have to update everybody on that throughout the year. Yeah, for sure. So last but not least, Woo! number four, having to do with targeting. What's yes. going on here? So this has to do with Facebook targeting. And this is more of like a quick little discussion that we can have here, Ralph. But, you know, since Cambridge Analytica and all of the ongoing stuff with Facebook and the government and the public, you're hearing a lot of people saying that things like interest targeting on Facebook will go away in efforts for Facebook to really feel like their privacy is more in check with the public, right? And I've been hearing that a lot from students. They're like, what are we going to do when interest targeting goes away? Because you guys know that's my bread and butter. I think it's probably my strongest suit on the platform. And if I did think it was going away, I would tell you guys, hey, I think it's going away. Here's where we need to shift to. But I really don't think that's what's happening, right? I think that if anything, what we are going to see more in 2020 is more restrictions when it comes to retargeting off of Facebook and Google. I mean, you just saw that in, I think Google announced this today or yesterday, within the next two years, they're going to completely remove the third party pixel, you know, and people are using cookie blockers. And, you know, they're really worried about, I mean, I live in the EU now and I see accept cookies as a button on every single website that I visit because of everything with with GDPR. So I'm not saying that all of this isn't going to change. I think it will mostly change in relation to how retargeting is done off of the platform, because to me, that's much more personal data, like which websites you visit and how deep (laughs) you go into those sites. It's much more important than things like you like Dave Matthews Band or you drink Pinot Grigio or we think you drink Pinot Grigio because you liked a page about Pinot Grigio. I think that things like interest targeting on Facebook, I bet Facebook goes even deeper into this realm, Ralph, because they might feel like they need to overcome anything that happens with offsite retargeting. I think this is even why you're seeing in the last year or so, Facebook released things like the ability to retarget everybody who's engaged with you on Facebook and Instagram in the last 180 days. Yep. Because that's beneficial to me because even if they did visit the website and I can't pixel them, I know they at least clicked on one of my ads and they're in that audience. So I just wanted to sort of discuss this with you quickly. I do think we'll see big changes across the board in digital marketing this year when it comes to targeting in general. But I think it's mostly going to be off of these platforms. I think we might even see interest targeting deepened and more options there just to further help advertisers and possibly more options for retargeting people based off of what they're doing on Facebook's platforms, um, you know, would make sense too. But I just wanted to bring this up and say that I could be completely proven wrong here. And no matter what happens, I'm always going to pivot and move forward and let you guys know what I think. But I don't think we're going to see interest targeting go anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, I think it is a concern. I mean, I think there's been, obviously, there's been categories that have been rolled back 
over the course of the last year and a half. And I think that also, most of that's coming from third-party data sites. Exactly. And so. most of it's stuff that's very personal to that person, like their income level or what type of car they drive, which isn't even data, like you said, that's coming from Facebook and usually didn't work in the first place because it was coming from third-party data. So the audience sizes were so small and they were so overused because people are like, of course, I want to target people that make a lot of money because they'll buy my product, which usually isn't the case anyways. (laughs) So those restrictions in the behaviors, in my opinion, are not indicative of what's happening with interest targeting, which there are hundreds of thousands, probably millions of interests, and all of that data is coming from Facebook itself. Yeah. This is a hard one because, I mean, I think with a lot of that data, like net worth, you know, annual income, all of those, you know, behavioral targets, like when you would, you know, when you would overlay them or use them and try and narrow your focus a whole lot more, we never really found that they worked as well as they should. In theory, they should like, oh, I only want to target people who are making $250,000 a year plus. Well, we found that and a lot of testing is that sometimes if you narrow too much, all of a sudden, it goes the opposite way. Now you're you're not even getting your end result. You're just paying more because you're, you've narrowed your focus too much. Whereas I think the shift now is, especially from point number one, is testing on larger audiences and then squishing them together in a CBO campaign for scale. That doesn't really, it's in misalignment with more precise targeting. And if you remember back, Cambridge Analytica, their whole business model was about super precise targeting. And that's the reason why the company really didn't do well. Like we talked to them years ago about what they were doing. Like it's too narrow of a target. Like we know it plus was super expensive. You know, the Trump campaign did the same thing, looking into it, ended up not going and not using them because broader audiences are really where the algorithm makes its hay, just like we had talked about, you know, in point number one here. So even if there are some interest targets that do go away because of, you know, data or privacy issues, the platform's still going to survive and still going to flourish because the intelligence is really is in the machine learning, you know, and the things that as soon as you get more and more and more data, it's starting to get smarter and smarter, learns more and gets you closer to your objectives, whatever your campaign objective is. So, yeah, but it's definitely, it's a concern for people, you know, for sure. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. So, well, wow, this has been great. This has been extensive. Um, It was fun. (laughs) Good hanging out with you guys. All right. Well, cool. Molly, this has been awesome. This has been, uh, you know, extensive things to keep in mind for 2020. There's a lot of stuff here to consume and especially the first couple. There's a lot in here that we've been able to unpack just based upon not theory here, guys. This is like real world experience Mm -hmm. running hundreds of millions of dollars in ads, tens of millions of dollars in ads and seeing what works and what doesn't work and obviously taking what Facebook is giving us as far as new tools and using them the best way and giving you guys as much insight as we possibly can. Having said that, a lot of this might change in 2020. You know, something might come along down the line three to six months from now that sort of changes everything that we've discussed here. But, you know, I do think that one of the most important things is to continually sharpen the saw and to be listening to the episodes here on perpetual traffic and not just on Facebook and Instagram ads, but also how to potentially even diversify your traffic strategy with some of the things that we'll be talking about in the latter part of this year 
with Google and all the other ways in which you can market online and offline, get more traffic to your site and ultimately convert and create businesses that are sustainable over the long term. So this has been awesome, Maul. Great to have you on. Any parting words of wisdom to our listeners? Thank you guys for listening. This was a blast. Just a reminder about Train My Traffic Person at trainmytrafficperson.com if you guys are interested in that. Check it out. We will be closing the doors soon. If you have any questions, follow me on Instagram at Molly Pittman Digital. Happy to answer your questions and just love to engage with you guys. So thanks for being here. I hope you have an amazing 2020. Yeah, cheers to running successful marketing campaigns this year that do good in the world, uh, yeah. which is always a, a good second addition to that line. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so for all the uh, the resources and the links that we mentioned in this sh- this show here, go over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Until next week. See ya. (laughs) You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.